Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor, and Pastor Charles Roberts. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Out of the Question podcast. In 2023, there's been a lot of publicity and talk regarding how businesses, corporations, sports teams, government agencies, such as the military, and schools and universities have not only been supporting, but pushing agendas on the public regarding practices that the Bible classifies unabashedly as abominations. Lesbianism, homosexuality, bisexuality, transvestitism, and transgenderism. Now, there are many reasons why this is happening, and the response this year has been organized boycotts. So we're not really going to talk about why all this has happened, because that could be a subject for another time, but the response has been organized boycotts. So Charles, if you would, give us a brief definition of what boycotts are, what they hope to achieve, and then... Let's begin our presenting question. Should Christians participate in boycotts? Well, if I may, I will use an example that is well known here in my home state of South Carolina. For many, many decades, the Confederate battle flag flew above the state house and the state capital of Columbia, South Carolina. And um, that didn't go up until like the 1960s. But it was decided at a certain point about 15 or 20 years ago that this was not a good thing at all. And uh, the politicians and government people were kind of flip-flopping about whether to haul it down and not put it up there. And so a number of left-leaning political organizations said, okay, what we're going to do until you get rid of that awful flag, their words, is we're going to boycott your state. We're encouraging all people of various ethnic persuasions to avoid even setting foot in the state of South Carolina until you do what we think is morally required, and that is to remove that flag from the building of your state government, the seat of your state government. So that's an example. You know, it, it withholding and withdrawing presence, money, support of various types to achieve an actionable political or social goal. Interestingly enough, uh, I did a derivation. Where did that word come from? And it's actually named after a man by the name of Charles Boycott, who <laughs> in 1880 had issued some sort of oppressive um, demand on those who relied on him, um, I guess, for their land or something like that. And uh, when he was being a stinker from their eyes, instead of using violence, they all just decided, you know what? We'll just take our resources and put them someplace else and stop supporting him. So the word boycott actually comes apparently from Charles Boycott. Well, that's more than I knew going into this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, that's, that's good so to the know. So question, the question is, should Christians participate in boycotts? Is, is this a godly activity? There are a number of sides to this question. I mean, on one, on one level, it would seem to be a no brainer. I mean, the, uh, the, Recent example of the Bud Light beer um, um, controversy using the phony transgendered male guy or whatever he was on their 
you know, can, uh, you know, certainly has had an impact of people boycotting purchasing that beer and uh, thereby clobbering the company financially. So on that side, it doesn't seem to be too complicated. Yeah, we should do that. If, the, if you've got a company promoting evil or an organization or an individual or whatever it may be, Christians should withhold their support. On the other hand, I think there's, like everything else, if people haven't learned this by now, there is a theology to everything, and including a theology of boycotts, which is really gets down to a, a much bigger issue, and that is, you know, what is the nature of the state? What is the nature of our involvement in God's kingdom? And what are we really relying on to accomplish uh, the goals that Christ gave us in commissioning us to make the nations his disciples. Certainly, we have to be adaptable and overcome in various circumstances. But the problem is that we have listened too long, in some cases, to the swan song, that the solution to all of our problems in society, at least in this society, are political solutions. And most often, boycotts are associated with political action. That really has no theology behind it, or I should say no biblical theology behind what is the larger purpose and what's going on here. Uh, I think in the case of many uh, boycotts that, or, or similar actions that have taken place in, say, the past 50 years or so in this country, there have been Christian organizations behind such efforts that really have no theology of a state. They simply want broadly defined conservative values promoted and um, in power and what they would call liberal or immoral values put aside. And that's certainly a worthy goal on one level. But if the larger thing that's going to come about from the boycott or whatever similar political action is as bad or worse as what you're replacing, even though it may not appear that way, uh, I, I think that's a problem. And that sort of thing comes up almost always when something other than a biblical theology of the state of government is at the bottom of the motivation behind it. So I sort of felt left out. Um, I never drank Bud Light. and <laughs> um, Target was another. I've never been a big Target fan. So, I mean, not, none of this was like, oh, I've got to change how I live. No more Bud Light. No more shopping at Target. And then Recently, when Fox News decided they were going to get rid of people that conservatives liked, then people were going to boycott Fox News. And in each case, the measuring rod seemed to be, look how much money we're costing them. Yeah. Now, that is the purpose to get someone's attention. But I didn't really hear anybody saying, did this just happen in 2023? Have you noticed how many companies, when they market, if you look at the, you know, um, their commercials, for example, or their ads, oftentimes you're going to see same sex couples, whew, the, the picture's going to be there, they're kissing and they go on to the next thing. And I started noticing this five to seven years ago. And I really was wondering why there were so many, for example, black and white couples pictured in uh, commercials or Asian and Mexican couples. Yes. And I was talking to someone and he said, yeah, because they get better ad placement. They, the, the ad companies know that they get better contracts to the degrees they'll put that in there. So all this stuff has been being bombarded and people didn't notice until somebody said, look, 
this man who is wicked and confused is now in a bathtub promoting, you know, this beer. And it's like, oh, look what's happening here. And so like sheep, unfortunately, they just said, oh, okay, this is what we have to do. And this becomes their service to the kingdom, not buying Bud Light. (laughs) I mean, seriously, let's say you were a mom who ran out of diapers and the closest store is Target. Are you not going to go to Target because of their affiliation with this? And meanwhile, your kid has no diapers. In other words, we have this idea that it's an either or. Look, you walked into Target and look, you've, you've abandoned your principles because they support gay pride or whatever it is. And guess what? They've been doing it for a while. The whole mm-hmm. controversy was that it was at the front of the store as opposed to the back of the store. You know, uh, this gives me an opportunity to share something that is, I think, highly relevant to this discussion and something that has been ongoing in my circumstances here where I live, and I suspect uh, other people as well. And it relates to these companies that are, you know, woke and promoting uh, a, a neo-Marxist agenda in terms of social and cultural issues. There is here where I live and where you live and all over the place, um, a chain of uh, coffee cafes, I'll put it that way, that I genuinely enjoy their products. And like many, many other companies, including some that you've just named, they're all in with the Pride Month and the gay agenda for the month of June and that sort of thing. There is one of these cafes very close to me where they display a large LGBTQ plus flag in the window during June. And I'm telling you this story because it shows the irony and this just the crazy contradictory nature of, of the way these things work. Now, the first time they did that, it presented me with a major, major problem. You know, do I want to be seen going into this place? Do I want to sit at a table anywhere near where that flag is displayed? Now, I happen to know at that particular location of this business, there are a number of employees, you know, who are into that lifestyle, let's say. But when it's all put on display, and somebody once made, really recently, not once made, but recently made the comment that, you know, flags are symbols of dominion. They're symbols of battle. You know, you carry an emblem like that into a battle sort of thing. So it's a declaration of war in in one sense. So I thought, well, you know what? I think what I'm going to do, there's another one of these cafes about a mile closer, actually, to where I live. So I'm going to go down there. And see, and lo and behold, same company, same district of this company, no rainbow flag at all anywhere. Now, I happen to know that the manager of that location is into that lifestyle. <laughs> and I happen to know that the manager of the other one is not. That's where the flag is. So you've got this crazy thing going where one of them has it. One of them. And then I, I, I asked myself, okay, what would our earliest brothers and sisters in Christ do or what did they do in the Roman Empire, which is an empire as bad? Well, I, I, maybe it's not as bad as our empire has become, but certainly it was one where, uh, especially among the ruling elites, sexual degradation and evil was prominent and on display. Was it Nero married his lover? I think he married his horse, all kinds of weird stuff about him or Caligula. I don't know which one it was. But, you know, the, the Christians of that society faced this in a very powerful way. What were they supposed to do? They found themselves living in this massive urban environment of Rome. Some, of course, lived other places. But yes, it's fine if you can, you know, purchase your own uh, 
I'm just staying with the metaphor now. It's a bit extreme, but let's use it. Uh, you, if you can purchase your own coffee bean factory in Nicaragua or wherever and grow your own Christian coffee, well, that's fine. You know, but at, at a certain point, you're like you you said, you're either just not going to put diapers on the baby, or you're going to go to Target and get what you need. So I think that um, a slash and burn. Uh, it's all completely black and white. Now, this may sound strange coming from those of us who are theonomic and reconstructionist, but that's the way life really is. And that's the way the Bible recognizes there are certain things where, you know, uh, there's a certain leeway that you have to allow until you move toward, you know, the more stable and perfect environment in society. Right. So the early church had to deal with food sacrifice to idols because that's where they got their food. And Paul spends a good amount of time talking about that and how to approach it. Something you said about flags, you know, another word for a flag is a standard. The standard bearer would be the one who would march through the battle so that the troops would know, okay, we're going here now, we're going there. And so when you think of flags in that way and how many people want to be supportive and they're waving a pride flag, What they're doing is, whether they know it or not, they're acknowledging the rule, or at least get behind this flag. Now, in California, where I live, most places are all in on this. And we were visiting relatives, and we took some of the kids out for for lunch. And there we were ordering our burgers. And this place had the Harvey Milk milkshake. Oh, yeah. So at first, I looked at my husband and was like, do we want to eat here? And he said, well, we've already ordered. So what did we do? We sat down and we explained to the children who that person was, what had happened. Maybe you can (laughs) explain that to our listeners. Not everybody will know who Harvey Milk was. Harvey Milk was a uh, San Francisco city supervisor who was killed by another supervisor and who also killed the mayor of San Francisco back in, I think it was early 80s, if I'm not mistaken. That's yes. why California ended up with Diane Feinstein, because she then became the mayor of San Francisco, and it was her stepping stone. And the, the famous part about that whole thing, Harvey Milk was a homosexual and, you know, outwardly so, never trying to conceal it. So it became, he became the martyr. And the defense of the person who went ahead and um, shot him was that he had had too many Twinkies and that had affected his reasoning. So the whole thing was sort of like a circus. But in, in San Francisco City Hall, there's a statue of Harvey Milk. They remember him almost as if it's a holiday in San Francisco. Even then, most people, most young people would have no idea what the Harvey Milk milkshake was. They might have thought he was a cartoon character, right? So a lot of people buy into all this stuff, and they don't know why. They don't know what it stands for. Um, if you hear like, oh, the rainbow flag, I have to wonder how many people think, well, yeah, the rainbow is a symbol of that God gave to Noah. This mm. must be good. And it speaks to how little we know of our culture and how little the culture knows of the Bible. Yeah, and I, something I'm into include in my little spiel there just a moment ago is that the um, the alternative location of the Starbucks, uh, just say the name that I went to while I was there, 
there were two men that came in and sat down at a table with their coffee and opened up their Bibles and were doing a Bible study. You know, so, uh, okay, I mean, they're all different conflicting kinds of things. No, I guess nobody's going to go to Target and do a Bible study while they're there, you know. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the point is, you know, God's people are everywhere, and so is pagan evil. And our goal, our mission, is to be a part of storming the gates of hell that won't be able to resist the power of the church. Um, and we have different ways of doing that. But if we are AWOL from the battle, then that won't ever be accomplished. It, it's just not an easy thing to deal with, especially since uh, we are looking now and dealing with the aftermath of decades of a poor, poor understanding of what our place is in, uh, let's stay with American society. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, 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 did, we didn't wake up with pride flags in the windows of stores and uh, transgender clothing at, at, at department stores uh, just because a Democrat's in the presidency. This goes way, way, way back. Right. And it's a it's a cumulative failure on the part of uh, of an evangelical culture that had no use whatsoever for the full orb nature of God's law word. Yes. So I hear a lot of people say, look, I don't care what people do privately, you know, or if somebody wants if someone's a man and he thinks he's a woman, fine, let him be. That's not a biblical response. It doesn't mean that we take him and whip him and lash him if the rest of the society really wants to live and let live. The problem is, at its core, people probably will not object to outrageous things because they have their own fair share of things that they do that they don't want people to criticize or come after them for. So is it categorically worse that somebody dresses as the sex, gender, same thing, that they're not? Or that people commit adultery and somehow or other that kept under wraps. I mean, if we take a look at our Congress, uh, there are plenty of people who have quote unquote shady backgrounds that may or may not include homosexuality or, or transgenderism. But when we start categorizing sins as more sinful than other sins, then what we're doing is we're playing fast and loose with God's word. We're told to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness which wouldn't include all these other things, things that get ignored now because there are other things we can focus on. Yeah, and if we can stay with the example that you use for just a moment, I mean, I can think back over the period of about 30 or 40 years, the number of you know uh, popular and award-winning motion pictures that have played in downtown theaters when that's where they used to be. Uh, now they're streaming, I guess, where... Sexual sins, adultery, fornication have been the uh, the main motif of these movies. Now, it's certainly possible that the financial records broken by people attending and watching these films, not one Christian set foot in the movie theater to watch it. But I'm guessing that's not true. So even if you've got a movie, say, where the the feature is uh, an adulterous spouse and all the passion and the the you know, allure of that. And then what it winds up, the person ends up far worse than they ever were. It, it sort of becomes, okay, maybe, maybe the moral of the movie is that you, you shouldn't do this because regardless of what the religious overtones is, you're going to wind up in a bad way. Probably these things never go well, but the point is that's entertainment. What, what Christian would want to sit in a theater and be entertained in any way, even if the message is you shouldn't do this, it's still, you're paying your money to see it. Uh, so what I'm saying is, 
like you've just said, this problem has existed w- with different categories. It's all of a sudden now, perhaps because it's been so much in our faces, this, it's as if everything else has receded into uh, non-existence in, in the face of this one particular area, which is, is very bad. But like I said, this is only one result of a much deeper problem that needs to be addressed. Exactly. So is it only appropriate to not go to a business if hundreds of thousands of other people aren't? I mean, we're also, we're always supposed to be under the um, directive to judge righteous judgments, right? It's not don't judge, it's judge righteously. So if, for example, that same place that you like to go to, I don't like to go to. And so there have been many times when my husband and I are looking for a cup of coffee that, um, oh, there's one right here. Nope, we're not going there. And we go someplace else. So in essence, Charles, we have boycotted that place. Mm-hmm. We don't get a lot of applause. I doubt the place <laughs> loses a lot of sleep over the fact that we didn't buy our coffee there. But at the same time, if you know we're on a long trip and we're falling asleep and we got to stay awake and the coffee helps us do it, and that's the coffee shop. We'll go there because we're not going there to support them. We're going there to get some coffee. But in our day-to-day life, there are plenty of things that we just say, I'm not going to be a part of that. So I think that um, this idea that it's only worthwhile if all the other people are doing it too. I mean, I've had people ask me, Charles, do you go to this store? Do you know they ban nativity scenes? And it's like, well, to be honest with you, I don't really like a lot of the depictions of the nativity because I don't think they're always biblically accurate, right? And, and the way the story is told. But I'm not going to, or do you know that they won't let you say Merry Christmas here and you have to say Happy Holidays? I mean, we can start deciding that these are going to be our boundaries, but are we building the kingdom by just saying we're not going to support these people and that's our kingdom service? I guess that's my question. Well, I think it highlights a, a foundational principle of, of biblical morals and ethics, uh, one that uh, Dr. Rastuni frequently reminded us of in his writings and lectures, and that is the primary place where we begin with God's law is with ourselves, governing ourselves according to the standards of God's law word. And so um, if individual believers would simply begin with themselves and like you and Ford have done in this particular instance that you mentioned. Well, you know, if you have a society where people are governing themselves in this way, then you have sort of a a built-in boycott that doesn't have to be organized and put on some political platform. It's just naturally going to happen that way. If we are doing these things out of a, a natural course because of our convictions on an individual and family basis, then these companies don't have an opportunity to grow and flourish and become in the positions that they are. But that has not been the case for, as I said, many, many decades in this culture. And now we're having to deal with the, the aftermath. Uh, but it, it, in, in looking at it this way, it, it takes away the emphasis that this is somehow another political solution. All of our problems are political. You know, elect this person, take this action when actually it's biblical, it's a theology of how we live our lives and how we encounter and deal with the evil in our culture. And so we have to make up our minds in each individual case 
how we are going to discharge that. And, and being flexible again, I think not in a compromising way, but in a realistic way. The things that you mentioned earlier with the examples of, of Paul and also with Peter uh, sitting down with Gentiles and, and doing things that they had traditionally been told they should not do. Uh, and I think it's worth uh, thinking about this too. In the original founding of these United States, almost all of the 13 colonies, not all of them, but I think most all of them, they had written into their state constitutions guidelines that indicated that if you were not a Protestant Christian, you could not hold political office. Uh, if you believed in God but did, denied the Trinity, you could not hold political office. I think you had to be a Christian man and head of a household to even go and vote. And you ask yourself, well, that seems kind of stringent, doesn't it? Well, no. It's these people understood the nature of government, uh, that the foundation of it are godly, biblical people. That's the kind of society they believe God Almighty wanted them to establish in these areas. And so that's why those things were there. Now, they didn't endure. They were eventually removed from those state constitutions. Then we've got a federal constitution that didn't mention it at all in that way. You know, when people take God's word seriously in this area and all areas of life, in this case, government and self-government, you wind up producing a society where, to, to use Paul's words from Romans 13, you don't really have a lot of evildoers who have to worry about the state being a terror against them because there just aren't that many of them. But when that's thrown aside, uh, then you not only have a society full of evildoers, but more sadly in our time, we have a state that is a terror to those who try to do good rather than those to do evil. Exactly. And just the point in terms of where you do business, I wonder how many people who are boycotting Bud Light or Target or Starbucks or whatever have they checked their investment portfolio to see if they're actually investing in these companies? Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. You know, it's interesting. They can do this other thing. It's hard increasingly, for example, if there are companies that are experimenting with aborted fetal matter or using it, etc. Um, do we want to invest in that? If, if I've asked people who work for medical biotech, does your company do this? And, I get this deer in the headlights look like got to go now. It's important that if we are participating and we're profiting from it, we still may not be able to get away from it. But how are we going to build on solid foundation if we aren't even willing to investigate? Are we participating passively? Yes. And I think that uh, the, the questions that we and all serious believers need to be asking ourselves along those lines is that, you know, what is our ultimate goal? If if it's to simply divest ourselves of drinking something or eating something at a place that has something in the window we don't like, or they're running TV commercials that concern us, okay, that's all well and good, but how far do you take that? My wife and I have, you know, seriously looked at that situation with, you know, our portfolio. And we took the action to change some things around and, you know, get involved with financial investors who took those kind of things seriously. But, you know, either you've got to take all your money and your funds and stuff it in your mattress, uh, or you're, you're going to have to be tangentially involved with some of those things. It's simply unavoidable for the time being. But I think there's a serious issue that suggests itself in this, that, um, 
I, I came across this article you and I were talking about earlier, and our listeners can find this on the Calcedon website. And it's an article written by a former Calcedon Foundation board member. And in this article, he mentions the fact that for the Christian, our goal, our end, our purpose is God's standards of justice, not simply majority rule. And I think that is a very profound insight. Because I think that's been one of the failings of those who say who want to mount boycotts. You know, they, they want to have social majority action to simply engage and, and accomplish something. But um, the question is, is, is the end goal of this whole thing to establish a godly social order as opposed to some sort of just broadly traditional conservative one? And that's important to look at because what are we about? When, when you talk about your investment portfolio, are we investing in Christian companies that are endeavoring, for example, I, I did a podcast just recently about media companies that are providing mm-hmm. a platform that would establish the basis of a biblical world and life view. So it's not just withholding your money. It's also investing in those that are doing the work of the kingdom, whether it's Christian schools or whether it's people who are trying to provide alternative medical and health opportunities for people. Um, the returns should be viewed in terms of kingdom returns as opposed to what will my retirement look like? Because things change pretty quickly. And if your hope is in your portfolio and inflation continues or the currency fails, have you invested in that which will bring about the purposes of God? I think something in this same category, and I'm going to ask you if you would say a word about this. In the most recent edition of the Chalcedon Report newsletter, uh, I think it's that. I don't I think I don't think it's that were, were the interview that you did with Mark. Right, Chalcedon uh, Report, yeah. Uh, he refers to something there about an interaction that Dr. Rastuni had with um, a, a well-known businessman who wanted to invest money in political action. Can, can you tell that story? Right. I'll say it without using names or whatever, but he supported Calcedon early on, but he made it clear that this wasn't going to be ongoing support. Um, he liked what Rush was doing, but he was more interested in getting good people into office. And then years later, after he himself um, had run his company and his health was failing and he had turned it over to some of his children, and he saw the trajectory of where things was were going, he said, you know, I should have listened to you. I should have invested in things like Christian schools because my efforts, I, I threw a lot of money at something, but it didn't produce what I thought it would. And so he thought that investment in true kingdom work as opposed to, well, we got to get the best guy, you know, maybe the lesser of two evils guy into office has any lasting value. You know, that I think is a profound lesson, one that too often Christians don't learn and don't want to learn. But it, it, people need to hear that and hear it over and over. I mean, that is a profoundly important point that, you know, apparently I'm just guessing that Dr. Rustini, you know, in, in a in a kind-hearted way, tried to convince this man, you know, maybe you should consider putting your support in this area yes. where it will have long-lasting effects. Yes. Um, so. We we think too short-term. We, we You know, maybe it's because we're so used to media that's, you know, 
couple of seconds on your your social media feed or a 30 minute situation comedy or an hour drama or you know a movie that lasts an hour and a half the work of the kingdom is compared as a mustard seed that grows it's not a quick thing but it's a deliberate thing and it's a thing that has roots if i might go back to our boycott subject Back in 2005, Chalcedon Vice President Martin Salbretti wrote an article entitled Legacy and Example. That, too, can be found on the Chalcedon site. But within the article, he has a section specifically on boycotts. And this is what he has to say. Boycotts are carnal weapons, but Christians, in the name of Christ, routinely call for them and regard failure to join them as being tantamount to endorsing the sin the boycott ostensibly opposes. Christians habitually gravitate toward Saul's battle gear and regard David's five smooth stones as patently inadequate. In the example given, Satan rejoices when Christians use boycotts to press their cause because they're thereby forsaken the weapons that are actually mighty to tear down strongholds. It's a compound victory for Satan, because the Christians think they're being effective and further entrench themselves in the use of worldly weapons. While I regard the manipulation of mammon, boycotting, as not being among the spiritual weapons Paul promotes over worldly ones, I do hold to the mandate to cast down strongholds using proper weaponry. Then he goes on to say, if something can be known by its fruits, note well that boycotts teach corporations the fear of Christian economic action as a special interest group, not the fear of God. He says, ineffectiveness and cultural impotence are not virtues, nor should we be by spiritual sleight of hand working to translate them into that sphere. We have deliberately marginalized ourselves in virtually every sphere and, to use Ezekiel's phrase, have daubed the resulting handiwork with untempered mortar. Compromised, muddy thinking will sheath more than expose the two-edged sword, the word of God, that we've been given. So what would it be like if the money that's spent into promoting boycotting this or that is spent on identifying what's wrong with this. This is an abomination to God. This is says that anyone who participates in these activities will not spend eternity with Christ. In other words, you don't hear a lot of that. All we hear is they had this man who dresses as a woman as their spokesman, and we don't want to see that, right? Why aren't we hearing the real reason that's wrong? As a, I mean, and if somebody wants to buy that kind of beer because they like it or not, that's really less on the point than why is it wrong? Is it wrong because it upsets you? Is it wrong because children might have to see that? Or is it because God is offended? And when God is offended, he deals with it the way the Bible says he will. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, Ann Martin did, of course, in that article, that this gets to the heart of the matter that the issue is God's standards of justice and what God says is true and righteous, not what strikes us as being uncomfortable or ugly or, or whatever it may be at any given moment. I mean, people can have, broadly speaking, 
good standards for behavior or, or whatever it may be without being Christian. I mean, I, I quoted uh, the Greek philosopher Plato, who once, uh, at least it's attributed to him, he said, the, the, the penalty that people pay for not being interested or involved in politics is to have people uh, more evil than themselves rule over them. Okay, that's a that's an interesting insight. It's a pagan insight, and there's a certain extent to when to when, uh, that it's true, uh, but that doesn't even come close to the issue of what does God's law word say to us? What, what is the standard by which we are to live in a just and holy and uh, godly society that will be blessed by the Lord? You know, uh, before we went online to have this discussion, you were mentioning to me the um, the recent commentary on the few minor prophets, including Zephaniah, that the Chalcedon Foundation has recently published. And um, the, the the sermon and the articles in there by Dr. Rastuni about, you know, what that prophet was saying to the people at the time. You know, that that's this is something that we need to pay attention to in our time. The, the Lord can judge the uh, the evildoer, but he will use them to judge his own people who have forsaken his law. And that's sobering because we may think, oh, we're not like those guys, but any violation of the law of God culturally will bring about God's promises. You know, people always talk about claiming the promises of God. Well, some of those promises have to do with disobedience and God will fulfill his promise. If he says, if you do this, I will do this. And we've, we've had this very easy believism mentality that says, I'm good with God. It doesn't really matter what's happening around me. Forgetting that the whole reason God calls you out is to serve the kingdom, not for you to have a nice day. Yes. Well, I think in in terms of what, from my standpoint, at least we can learn from this larger issue. And in one sense, the impetus to mount boycotts is understandable. Uh, and from a broadly worldly standpoint they can have quote positive results but we need to be careful that what we are ultimately getting involved with is salvation by politics and uh, relying on government officials who are pagan and not believers in god's law and his word at all to provide a way for us to be happy with ourselves and that's never going to work i mean the article that i referred to earlier and i'll just close out my part of this with this uh, the author says, how fascinating to watch social conservatives demand family values from their politicians only to see the family values camel once in the tent bear with it. Government mandated family leave, government funded child care and child care centers, paternalistic medical and health programs in public schools. So that's where you end up when you, uh, you know, you get involved with Caesar's program, you get Caesar's results. Not to mention family values, and if we're going to redefine the family, then the family can be anything you want it to be. And, yeah. you know, the scripture tells us have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness, but expose them. So it is a Christian function in any civilization or culture to expose that which is contrary to God's word. But you don't only do it until the people who have been at war with God are less at war with God, but are still at war with God. I mean, we talked about the beer company. They're trying really hard to gain back their people, and they're doing it with Fourth of July picnics and everything else and showing how, you know, Bud Light is a part of it. 
they realize that they have been leading people around with marketing and advertising. Maybe they did overplay their hand and this is causing a lot of people to wake up, which I hope is true. But are people going to step into line again and say, okay, they just took that offensive guy off. We're good now. Mm, um, yeah. We must be proclaiming, even after the storm seems to have passed, what's wrong and why we are supposed to be faithful to God, not on what's comfortable for us, but what his law work requires. Yeah. So the conservatives have declared victory because they're losing a lot of money. In the meantime, uh, the Marxists and the pagans plot more strategy to continue their program. And I've, and this is probably just a snippet. I have read commentary that said, look at who, um, or what companies are being gone after. Um, we're not talking about things that people, do. people shop at Target. People probably bought that beer. So you, you go ahead and you make sure that this, these companies go out of business. They lose money. Well, then if Target were to close, then where would you shop? Oh, I can always go to Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. right. So if there might be more to this, let's herd the sheep than we know. And it looks like, oh, this is where we're going to focus our attention on Target and on the beer company and stuff like that. And it's like, no, maybe there's a bigger agenda here and you're just part of this swooshing tidal wave that's not going to end up with a more biblical society. And I think that's really what we're talking about here. Yes. Okay. Well, thanks, Charles. Uh, hopefully people who have been thinking about boycotting to, to boycott or not to boycott. That is the question. Um, have been given some things to think about and, uh, places to go for some more information. I hope they have too. And, uh, we know one place they can go is the calcedon.edu website. There you go. All right. Thanks people for listening out of the question podcast at gmail.com is how you reach us, and we look forward to talking with you next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.